right. So this week, we are going to continue our look at vibrant faith within households. And we're going to be doing that by diving in and actually discussing the first two characteristics of vibrant households we hit on last week. Do anyone remember what those two are? I can't hear you. I'm going to assume you all said them because you are all awesome. But the first two characteristics are regular engagement in spiritual practices and regular participation in spiritual conversations. Now, I'm combining these two this week, not because I think they're any less important or, you know, anything like that. I'm combining them because there's really a lot of crossover between them, both in kind of their biblical background and kind of what the research had said about them. So I'm combining them because I would, honestly, most of what I would say this week about spiritual practices, I would just end up repeating next week about spiritual conversations. So I thought I would just save us all time and combine them and put them all together and not, you know, stretch this out and waste anyone's time. So that's why these are combined. Don't think I think these are less important than anything else we're going to be talking about throughout this series. Now, before we really dive into kind of what the research is saying and how to apply these two elements into our current households, why don't we take a few moments and just see what the Bible says about these two practices. Yeah, the Bible seems to be a good place to start. It seems to be a, a reasonable spot to start for a sermon. So why don't we do that? If you have your Bibles with me, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, this is the same passage that I kind of briefly touched on last week. We're going to expand upon it a little bit more right now. Now, Deuteronomy is a really interesting book. I mean, you might not think so, but it is, I promise. It is, from a narrative perspective, the children of Israel, they have already escaped Egypt. They've wandered through the wilderness. They fought and defeated many nations, many kings. And at the opening of the book, they are standing on the fields of Moab. They are a stone's throw away from the promised land. They're on the doorstep. They're almost there. And it's here that God decides to give the people this grand speech through Moses. And in the midst of this speech, God lays out really a precedent for having households that contain messy prayers and loud tables. So if you have your Bibles with me, please follow along. I'm going to start in verse 4. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, and when you are away, when you lie down, and when you rise. Bind them as a sign to your hand. Fix them as an emblem to your forehead. And write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Alright, so this just short section here contains some pretty well-known and loved verses. Verse 4, for example, is oftentimes called the Shema, taken for the first word in the, the, the verse. And this verse is really a cornerstone for morning and evening prayers for many people around the world today, especially people of Jewish faith. You know, a lot of prayers start by reciting this verse. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Achad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. 
you know, many homes today have this prayer framed or embossed in some way, actually put up on the walls or on their door somewhere, you know, a literal interpretation of verse 9. So, and there's a lot of really deep stuff in here that we'll kind of touch on in a little bit. But so verse 4 is extremely important and well known. Then we follow that up with verse 5, a verse that many Christians refer to as the greatest commandment. As we said last week, this was the passage that Jesus quoted when asked what the greatest commandment was. And it's kind of easy to see why. You know, following these three simple tasks, you know, loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, that really should ensure that you follow all of the other commandments and precepts of God, right? If you're genuinely following God in those three areas, everything else will kind of fall into place. You know, you could argue that these two verses offer one of the kind of tightest and simplest theological frameworks for understanding and relating to God in all of the Bible. Verse 4 hits at the idea of monotheism. You know, there's one God. There's no one beside our God. And verse 5 gives us simple instructions for how to follow and love our God. I mean, in all honesty, the, the entire book of Deuteronomy and a lot of other books could be summed up with these two verses. But for me, what's interesting is what immediately follows this section. So we have these two verses giving us this very tight, concise kind of summary of the entire kind of message of God at this time for the people. What follows it are tangible ways, tangible things we should do to remember and reflect on these commands. Keep these words in your heart. That sounds an awful lot like prayer. Recite them to your children. That sounds like families reading scripture together. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're away, when you're lying down, and when you rise. That is a ton of spiritual conversations, right? So th these things are hitting all hit on right here. And I absolutely love how verses 8 and 9 kind of wrap this entire thing up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And while there are many people who take this verse literally and take it to heart, you know, there's small boxes that will contain the Shema, that, you know, uh, written on a piece of paper, put in boxes that are, that are tied to hands, tied to foreheads. People do that. And I think this can be a really, really wonderful showcase, a wonderful tangible reminder, a wonderful sign act for us to follow. I don't think we have to literally do this every time. We don't, we don't have to think of this as literal all the time. Because what, what's interesting to me is what two parts of the body are being called out here? Hands and head. Body and mind. I think for me, a, a fun and a great way to look at this is as a call, as a challenge, that we are to live by the words of God so closely, so tightly, or to know them so well that both our tangible actions, the things we do with our hands, and our inner thoughts, the things we do with our mind, will always reflect that. That what we do and what we think should exemplify our devotion to God and our desire to dwell in Scripture, to pray, to dwell on the things of our Lord. And then verse 9 takes this idea and moves it into the realm of location, to the doorpost of the home, 
to the gates. But the getting of the idea that we should dwell in God. We should focus and sit with God both inside our homes and when we're outside. There shouldn't be this compartmentalization where we grow in God in this location, but not in the other. Wherever we go, no matter where we are, our actions and our thoughts should be reflective of someone who always carries the commandments and the love of God within them. Now, that sounds an awful lot like a person who is spiritually vibrant to me, right? Now, notice as well here how much house, household, and family language is used. Recite the scripture to your children. Talk about God in your homes. Find this up on the doorpost of your homes. This passage is really hitting at the notion and the idea that this spiritual vibrancy that is being talked about is something that really happens within households. That it's something we can't really do alone. It's best done in community. It's best done with others. And the way it gets at that is by using this household, this family language. All right, so with all of that in our back pockets, let's dive a little bit into what this modern study has, you know, tells us about or has garnered about these practices. So the study has really given us some interesting things to reflect upon as related to the regular spiritual practices of uh, spiritual disciplines and spiritual conversations. So first, the study found that households that relate to God tend to do more together. Households that relate to God together tend to do more together. Now, the idea of relating to God kind of combines the notions of spiritual disciplines, reading, reading scripture, prayer, all that, and spiritual conversations. Those kind of come together to give us this idea of relating to God together. The study uh, found that gauged families' engagement over 18 different activities. Things like eating dinner together, playing games together, going on walks together. There are all sorts of things. And what it found was that families that regularly read their Bibles together, or regularly prayed together, or regularly engaged in spiritual conversations, scored higher in all 18 categories. Meaning that these families tended to do more things together. Now there's a really interesting discussion we could have on kind of cause and effect. What is causing what side of this equation here? Are these families doing more together as a direct result of engaging in the spiritual practices and engaging in spiritual discussions in that? Or are the fact that they do more together influencing them to have these spiritual conversations and influencing them to engage in more spiritual practices? Kind of unsure what way it's going. And there's really not enough research right now to address that. But I think one thing is clear is that they do tend to go hand in hand. The more you engage in these spiritual practices, the more you engage in spiritual conversations, the more your family tends to do. Together. Growing together. So just kind of, as you move forward, that's an interesting thing to think about. As one thing right raises, you want to kind of bring the other one up too. Like it's, so that's thing number one, just to keep in your head. The more families do, the, the, more, the, the higher that families engage in these spiritual activities, engage in conversations, the more general activities they tend to do together. Second, having an extended household helps 
foster not only spiritual disciplines, but also spiritual conversations. Now think back to our discussion over the past couple weeks about what a household is. A household can be, and often is, more than just the people living with us. We've talked about it can be the people we talk with the most, it can be our friends, the people we call when we need advice. I was reading an article, an outside article recently, that defined household as if you were to grab your phone and, depending on your age, either you know find the five numbers you call the most or the five numbers you text the most. Obviously, take out work numbers and things like that. But those five people, really, that's your household. Those people you communicate and talk with the most. I thought it was an interesting kind of way to think about household. But whatever we define as household, research suggests that the more broad and extended that household is, the more robust faith formation is. So along those same lines, the more broad and extended your household is, the more people you have at your disposal to have meaningful, deep spiritual conversations with. And this, this kind of makes sense, right? The more people, the broader variety of people you have speaking into you, supporting you, stoking that spiritual fire, the more likely that fire will be to grow, to continue burning, to burn as a fire with inside of you, right? The more help you have, the stronger you'll feel, the more you'll grow, the more conversations you'll have. That's thing number two. I think I'm only going to do three this morning because I'm kind of already kind of running along here. So let's do, let's do three. The third thing is that relating to God together can prepare households for difficult times. It's not uncommon that when Christians go through hard times, when they get through it, they'll often reflect that their faith helped them through these difficult times, right? I feel like we've all heard that. Most of us have gone through something like that, right? That's, that, that's, that's pretty common. But research indicates that there's an additional benefit for people who are in households that have strong spiritual practices. In short, these practices tend to build deeper, a deeper level, a deeper sense of intimacy among members of these households. The result is stronger bonds and more support between members of these households in difficult times. The idea being that these habits that are formed in times of normalcy, that are formed in just the everyday, are reinforced and are really leaned on in times of crisis. So that when we enter into a crisis, and we decide we need to, to lean on God, to lean on our families, to go to the Bible, to go to prayer, that's something we're already doing. It's not something strange and new to us that we have to kind of figure out in the midst of a crisis. It's already something we're doing and it feels natural to do. I think it's a, that's just a great, wonderful thing. It's in one sense, preparing us for difficult times by getting us in the habit of not only relying on each other, supporting each other, but knowing how to reach out to God, being open to prayer with God. I think it's just an amazing kind of benefit of living in a spiritually vibrant household. So these have just been a few of the benefits and findings that engaging in the practices of spiritual disciplines and spiritual conversations can have on households.
there are a lot more than, you know, I could sit here for only two hours talking about them. But no one wants to sit here and watch a video for two hours about that. So, But I think the real question we should be asking, and that I know I'm asking, is how can I take tangible steps to grow in these two practices? You know, it's one thing to, to see the benefits of them and to say, like, yeah, I want to become better at engaging in spiritual practices or, you know, engaging in these spiritual conversations. But how do I actually foster that growth? Well, let's, let, let's talk about that quickly. Let's start with spiritual disciplines. I would recommend starting small. If this is something that is you haven't really done before, starting small can be a great way to not get overwhelmed. So you could try inserting a short prayer or two into your daily routine. It could be a simple family prayer before a meal. I know Christine and I, we have a little prayer we say before every time we eat. It's maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Like It doesn't have to be very long, but it gets you in a habit, in a pattern. Um, if you're a family, if you have a household with kids or even you know roommates or spouses or something, prayer before bed. A quick, again, it could be a cookie cutter prayer, a, a standard prayer that you say before bed. Just something to kind of start developing a pattern of prayer in your life. You could hang some scripture on your wall. You know, find the person with the prettiest handwriting, or you can even just print it out if you want, you know. I know in our household, I'm not sure it would work because my handwriting's terrible. Christine argues her handwriting's good. It's so loopy, it is unreadable. Like, half her letters look the same, but, yeah. So, if, you don't, if you're a household like us, then maybe print something out. But, you know, you could print out something, draw, draw something up, and tape it or tack it to your wall. Somewhere in the house where everyone could see it. And over the course of a month, you know, maybe change it once a month or so. But over the course of that month, without even really realizing it, I'll bet most of the people who see it, most people that are part of your household, We'll start to memorize it. If it's something you see every day, I know some people put scripture on their bathroom mirror. Uh, I know some people put it above their bed on, on the ceiling, so it's the first thing they see when they wake up. You, know, you, you can do little things like that that you'll just start to internalize scripture without even realizing it. As those practices start to take root, you could try to push things a little further. You could maybe try a daily family scripture reading time for just a special season, just a short time. You know, this 30 days of family devotion that we passed out could be a great opportunity for that, right? It's 30 days. It's not, it's not that long, not that overwhelming. Uh, Advent is coming up, you know, that season right before Christmas. There are a ton of wonderful Advent devotionals you could do as a household. Some of them, you know, they're two or three minutes a day. You could just do something like that, try to stretch a little bit, to do some daily routine, but just for a short time, just to, just to see how it is. You could start encouraging and modeling impromptu prayers. You know, moving out from the kind of standard, we, we pray before meals, we pray before bed, whatever kind of your standard prayers you set up, you could try impromptu prayers. If someone mentions they're having a rough day, or you know someone maybe in your family or your household has a test that they're kind of nervous about, Get in the habit of praying for that on the spot. Make it not feel weird to pray for someone at the spur of the moment. As those grow, you could think about doing something big. You know, you could host a prayer event at your house. Obviously, not right now. 
don't host a big prayer event at your house right now. But, you know, you get what I'm getting at. You could do a household retreat. You could make it a big official retreat. You could go to a monastery or a retreat center as a household. Do, a, you know, a full day of prayer and reading. You could do kind of an unofficial house retreat. I know Christine and I have kind of done that before. We just stayed home, you know, set up our living room. You could set up, you know, candles or a little, little relaxation area and just read the Bible together. Pray together for an extended period of time. Dude, there's all sorts of creative things you can do like that. Now, most of these ideas have thus far been about prayer and reading scriptures together. Those tend to be the big ones, but that is not to say that there's not other ways, other forms of spiritual practices you could do as a, as a household. You know, fasting is, is another, that's another great one. You could do a household, you know, 24-hour fast or something. Now, really, the sky's the limit when it comes to thinking of things, thinking of spiritual practices that you could do as a household together, that you could grow in together. Now, what about engaging in spiritual conversations? What are some specific things you could do to grow in this area? Sorry, my throat tickles. And yes, I have a ghost mug out before October. Don't at me. Just don't. So again, uh, spiritual conversations. I was just starting small here as well. You know, you could talk about a shared experience together. Now, the shared experience doesn't have to be anything big and grandiose. Now, for example, back when we could go to movies, I, do you guys remember that, going to movies? What, what is that? But anyway, back when we could go to movies, Christine and I would almost always follow up seeing a movie with immediately going out to lunch, going to, going to get coffee, something like that right afterwards, where we would have time to discuss what we just saw. You know, this was a great way to come up with ridiculous fan theories and, you know, pick apart movies. But it was just a great way to foster conversation. And honestly, it became something that for some movies, I actually looked forward to the conversation afterwards more than the movie itself. So these initial shared experiences don't have to be something big and deep. You can start with something like a movie or a book. The conversation will grow from there. You could use some sort of pre-made conversation starter, perhaps like a deck of conversation cards, maybe. Yeah. I think we often think of kind of these dumb icebreakers as things that, you, that strangers do to get to know each other, right? When you think icebreaker, you think, oh, I'm on a company retreat, or I'm on a team building activity, or it's the first day of school when I'm getting to know the class, right? That's what we think of. We think of a group of people who don't know each other very well. But I think icebreakers can be something that households can use really, really well too, right? I mean, their whole point is just to get people talking, to get ideas flowing. So don't, don't feel bad about using icebreakers, you know, little things like that in your household. They're awesome and they will do an amazing job of getting conversations going. You know, then once you kind of get some of those things going, you could maybe move to weekly or a daily routine, right? Maybe your Saturday morning breakfast could start off with everyone kind of recapping their week, talking about their highs and lows of the week. And that could be a great time to just hear from people, to engage in conversations. If maybe if you've started bedtime prayers, like we talked about in the previous section, that's something you've started doing. Now you could take, you could combine the two and instead of doing a kind of standard bedtime prayer every night, 
you could start asking people specifically how you could pray for them. That, that would open up some conversation. Asking them, what happened today? How can I pray for you for tomorrow? That, that combines the prayer and conversation. Two birds, one stone, right? Yeah, yeah, see what we're doing? And then you could have your big kind of special event things. You could go on a long hike with someone. You know, if you're on a long hike, you can't really get away from a person. So you, that's a great time to have hours of a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's a wonderful time to get to know someone, to delve deeper into a relationship. Long car rides can do the same thing. I know Christina and I, we have a general rule. The first hour or two of any kind of long road trip we take is for talking. Normally building up to a road trip, we're busy, we're kind of prepping, we don't see each other a lot. So for the first hour or two, it's, you know, no audiobooks, no podcasts, no music. We try no sleeping, which can be hard for Christine sometimes, but, and we often find that that time that we just reserved for talking extends much, much further. It'll extend four or five hours sometimes. You could try different forms of communication. You could try writing someone in your household a letter, right? Who doesn't love getting a letter in the mail? It might feel weird to like write someone who's in your household, whether they live with you or whether they're close by or whether you know, they live across the country. Sometimes it feels weird actually writing and sending a letter. But it can be a way to communicate this different. It can be a way to just show how special someone in your household is. Talking with someone on the phone could do the same thing, even if they're in the next room. I know it sounds weird, but there are times when I find I communicate better with someone over the phone than I do talking to them face to face. I don't know why, just sometimes that is the case. So just play with it. You know, try fun different forms of communication. And eventually you'll land upon the ways that you connect best with the different members of your household. Now these suggestions are just a small select few. This is by no means an exhaustive list. This is just a quick list of ideas. It's really up to you. The, like I said, the sky's the limit. You, your creativity is the only thing kind of getting in the way. You have an unlimited possibility of things you could do to connect with your household. Just get out and try them. And that would be kind of my challenge for us this week, throughout the coming weeks is to try and take, you know, at least maybe one tangible step forward in the practices of spiritual disciplines, individual conversations in your household. You know, they were essential and important enough for God to remind the people of Israel of them as they were on the cusp of entering the promised land, as they were on the cusp of opening up a brand new chapter in their history God talked to them about these disciplines. You know, research shows that they are the key characteristics of a vibrant household. They are two of the three. But above all, they are wonderful ways for us to not only connect with our households, but also to connect with our God. And I think that alone should get us excited about trying to find new ways of growing in these areas. Join me as we pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you that you are a God who loves us. That you are a God who seeks communion with us. Who wants to be with us. And not only with us, 
but with our household. We thank you that you are God who has given us households, that we don't have to journey alone. We don't have to go through life alone. We have support. We have family. We have friends. We have households. And so, Lord, I ask that as we move forward from here, you would just stoke in us a fire to ramp up the vibrancy in our households. That you would put in us just this burning passion and desire to come together as a household and just try out some things. Try to grow in spiritual disciplines. Try to engage in more spiritual conversations. Just ask that as we move forward from here, Lord, you would keep your hand upon us and you would bless us and you would bring us safely back to this spot next week. In your precious name we pray. Amen.